This show was brought to you by Ouch My Ego. OuchMyEgo.com Hey there, John. It's that season again. The season of... Season of the Witch? Yeah, no. Not the season of giving, I suppose. Or warring on. I don't know. It's it's December. Yes. That's the season. It is one of the many holiday seasons that there are. And yes, many in, in December as well. How many there are there? There's like Christmas... Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, there's three. There's Festivus, because people like to be buttholes. And what else? Uh, that's what I can think of, but then having worked uh, retail <laughs> for a decade, I am not one for this time of year. Oh, So anything that can distract me? So I was, from, uh, I was just at Walmart, I hate to say, and we're recording this way before Christmas time, but let's pretend it is, just after Halloween. So the day after Halloween, I go into Walmart and I hear this Santa going off. It's a robot Santa in a corner just being as obnoxious as possible. Very creepy. (sighs) Come on, Andrew. You know that once June has passed, Christmas stuff goes up. No, no, no. Not June. I don't know. Nope. I don't know. Look, it went up pretty early uh, at my local Walmart. Oh, well, I, I, I hardly ever go into the Walmart, but... Halloween, you know I like horror movies enough, and you like horror movies enough, but Halloween all year round is terrible, because the little babies that love Halloween all year round get so butthurt the second a jingle bell happens, and it doesn't matter how close to Christmas it is, they're like, it's the week before Christmas, and they already put Christmas decorations out, but, that's an exaggeration of course, but, here's what's the truth. Half a ween. It's half a ween. It's half a year till till the next Halloween. It's half a ween. Let's celebrate Halloween today. That's a true thing. Half a ween. Have you ever heard of it? I've never heard of that. Well, but then, it's true. Close to my heart, and it is so true, ministry did say every day is Halloween. I know. I know. And that's a fine ministry song. It's back when they were uh, a synth goth band. A very funny sounding Sith goth band. But point is, it's appropriate if it's after Halloween, pretty much appropriate for Christmas decorations to come up. Eh, I I guess like nobody really does the Thanksgiving thing unless you're Hobby Lobby, right? Or Michael's or something, right? So Yeah, I don't see too much Thanksgiving decoration. So it doesn't really pain me that much, but what does is obnoxious. As I just was about the half a ween. But when things are obnoxious, that's when I go, no thanks. But anyway, speaking of Christmas. Then how are you friends with me? (laughs) You're, You're not that obnoxious. No, you don't costume goth yourself. You just, you just have goth tastes. And there in your soul is a a dark smudge. It's not all over your body, you know? I will only wear black once they make a color darker than black. Uh I I heard that already this week uh, on a meme. Oh, Mm -hmm. sorry. Cringe. Cringe, right. But... Internet terms. Yeah, so why did I even mention Christmas? What the heck, other than this month? That's a good question. Why did you mention Christmas? Well, this is one of my Christmas Not Christmas movies. You have Die Hard, which is a Christmas Not Christmas movie. It's a really big action movie, and it could be set any time, but it's during Christmas, right? Almost any Shane Black movie is like that, but this one... Pretty much, yeah. This one in particular doesn't necessarily say it's set during Christmas. However, there's a lot of Christmas motif. What did we just watch, John? We watch City of Lost Children. Sleep, my little one. Sleep. I am the Sandman, and you can't resist me. Your eyelids are so heavy. Sleep, my little one. Sleep. Sleep. 
Or La City des Enfants Perdus. Oui. Now, did you watch this in English or French? I watched it in English. Yeah, I, good. I have to admit, if we're going to drop any clips and stuff in there, they're going to be in English. So yeah. if there were any specific things I wanted to reference, like I sometimes do, it would be best if I actually had the English language dub to, to go by. Now, it's a very good English dub. Netflix has done something called The Dark. It's a German series, but they have English dub version. And apparently it's really bad. It's just a bunch of bad voice actors trying to sync up. Or, you know, old kung fu movies where the Hello, I'm a kung fu man. I'm gonna chop you in the face. Kung fu foot. Well, you know? What I think works with this dub is, and not all the actors, I'm sure, but I know that enough of the actors do speak English that I think they did their own dubbing. Because mm. I'm pretty certain that's, what's his name? Dominique Pignon? Yeah, Pignon. Who plays all the, plays the clothes? I know he speaks English, and I'm pretty certain that's him overdubbing himself. Probably. And same, and same thing with Ron Perlman. Yeah, you know, of he's, course. I'm sure he's doing his voice. So it wouldn't surprise me if a lot of that dub is actually those actors doing it right which helps yeah that does help jackie chan does this actually for his movies once they started really hitting stateside not the early in the 80s but once they start hitting in the uh yeah 90s 95 they were all him going uncle uncle no don't uncle no you know well it's, as you watch those films too you can you can kind of hear his english getting better as well oh yeah gradually because the first couple are <laughs> our first couple are kind of rough with him <laughs> right but as as you get along, it's okay, yeah. Yeah, but this one doesn't get so so rough. I think the mad scientist, the Christmas themed guy, uh, is the one that's not him. I'm pretty sure that guy's a Chilean actor who found fame all his acting career goes back to the 50s in in France. That's where he he found his success as an actor. Ooh, also the score was done by Angelo Badalamenti, who was also the guy who did the score for Twin. Peaks. Huh? Take a drink. Of course. <laughs> yes. Go ahead. Take a drink. So what the heck is the story here that we're uh, tiptoeing around? Well, you have a mad scientist who cannot dream kidnapping children so he could steal their dreams in a hopes that he might actually halt his aging process. Because it turns out he's a clone, or at least a manufactured human anyway. And that's what he is. There's two manufactured humans, well, sort of, and a bunch of clones of the original scientist, which is the partner of our mad scientist. Yeah. Wait, oh. wait, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's, 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 let's unpack this, this a little so, bit. <laughs> so we have our original scientist who is partners with our mad scientist and they have a falling out. But our original scientist, okay, hey, where does the little lady well, that, come into he this? He created himself a wife. Unfortunately, he's not that good of a scientist. So instead of making a full formed, you know, woman, she's a dwarf. But then he does end up cloning himself a bunch. And they all have narcissists. Narcolepsy. They're like minions, basically. Well, Dominic Pignon was a clown. I don't know if you knew this. He was a clown. He's my favorite clown. If there ever could be me having a favorite clown, it would be Dominic Pignon. He was first on my radar in another Junet movie. Jean-Pierre Junet and Marc Caro directed this. It's Delicatessen, and he's our unlikely hero in that story, which I love. 
I love Delicatessen. And this movie is like the follow-up to Delicatessen. And the first or second... No, I think the first episode of What Did We Just Watch is the third movie. Oh, no, no. That was that was Janae yeah. on his own. A- Alien Resurrection. That was- no, uh, Mark Caro did the set design. He didn't do direction. He did set design. This is their partnership. They say Mark Caro well, and well, they're Janae. Yeah, they're, they're like, tied like, as directors on both this and Delicatessen. Yeah. Whereas Alien yes, is... But lo- yeah, he still has the same role that he's always ever which, had. Which I can I can see that. It's yeah. like Robert Rodriguez and Frank Miller. Frank Miller didn't direct Sin City. Yeah, yeah, he basically. But he's credited as having directed it because he did all the storyboards in the comic book, and they followed the comic book rather faithfully for the storyboarding. Yes, and so which is a good that's which was a how... good thing because when you see what Frank Miller did when he was actually given a uh, task to direct. Yeah, yeah, Spirit is rather. It looks great, but it's uh, boring. It's all get out i've tried to like it and i can't but caro is a the set decorators production design guy and so uh, the look of the films all of them including alien resurrection the look is all his except for the aliens you know those are a couple of other companies but one of my favorite directors is jean-pierre Jeunet at caro well but i'm not trying to diminish caro's oh no 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 I, well it's like i have i do have to ask maybe you know maybe you don't did that partnership dissolve then i guess after alien because i don't think he's on any of other Janae's other films because because i can say maybe micmax maybe he did something on that but i know it definitely doesn't feel like i'm not sure he did anything on amelie and yeah you said micmax micmax is definitely that that kind of uh sweaty metal copper <laughs> like this movie it's very wet metal. I've heard this movie be called steampunk. Yeah, there's there's definitely a lot of steampunk elements to this film, especially those. I hate steampunk. However, I the, love this well, it's movie. the it's more of an aesthetic choice in this film as opposed to quote unquote pure steampunk. But it's like you know the blind people with the weird things on their eyes, uh, so it allows the third eye. All right, so we're skipping around again. Hold on. The scientist gets knocked out and loses his memory, and they think that he died because he fell to the bottom of the ocean. But he ends up just being a scavenger now this unfolds just as the movie goes it's it's not very clear actually that's a that's one of those third act characters that pops up but it's okay because he was dominique pignon who's been in the movie the whole time as the clone yeah we we keep being told about the creator and yeah minions really have a fixation on who's the original which that and brain in the jar a brain yeah the brain is another failed experiment <laughs> Yes. So it's a brain in an aquarium. Who has a per- and this guy I like. Yes, he, he has a perpetual migraine. It's <laughs> he is such yeah. a he's he such a, a jerk. It's great. And he's ornery, but he's very matter of fact. And I I really like him. He's the guy that actually tells the veiled fairy tale version of what we just tried to explain. Once upon a time, there was an inventor so gifted that he could create life. A truly remarkable man. Since he had no wife or children, he decided to make them in his laboratory. He started with his wife fastened her into the most beautiful princess in the world. Alas, a wicked genetic fairy cast a spell on the inventor, so much so that the princess was only knee-high to a grasshopper. He then cloned six children in his own image. Faithful, hard-working, they were so alike no one could tell them apart, but fate tricked him again, giving them all sleeping sickness. Craving someone to talk to, he grew in a fish tank, a poor, migraine-ridden brain. And then, at last, he created his masterpiece, more intelligent than the most intelligent man on Earth. But alas, the inventor made a serious mistake. While his creation was intelligence, he too had a defect. He never, ever had a dream. 
You can't imagine how quickly he grew old because he was so unhappy. What's great about him is he doesn't have a face. He doesn't have a, a mouth or a head or anything. He's just a brain in liquid solution talking. And which is pretty cool. Which is a credit to whoever voices him because he's able to get around. He does. I'm not going to be like he's so emotive or anything, but he's able oh, to. Oh, he, he does a really good voice. Yeah, he's very good at presenting this exposition and everything. And he's. You do have to be a good actor to say this kind of stuff that doesn't make it seem forced boring or anything like that so at least again credit to the american voice actor it's been a good 20 years or so since i've seen this film and i know i've at least seen it in french once but yeah but you know and that's the first way i ever watched this was french so i had the dvd when the dvd come out uh early 2000s sometime the dvd came out and i got the dvd and i'm sure i watched it so that's close to 20 years right so then i watched it with lb so that's 2008 2007 or 8 and then i haven't since but then i got the blu-ray amazon i think it was only an amazon exclusive at that point so i got that but i hadn't watched it i just sat on it until this year i really wonder because i have the dvd thing and it, it looks fine but i can't imagine how beautiful this film would be in a high def thing because it's it's just everything's yeah. much more clear i think i might have even seen this in the theater it's, it's just on a big screen you know if you have a big enough tv you can imagine what it's like in the theater and so it's like that it's like a pretty big clean nice picture um this the digital smoke is a little weird and but that's always been a little weird yeah i noticed it more this time than i remember seeing it oh and it you is. noticed it on your dvd because it's it's a dvd and you're on a better tv now yeah yeah, just just watching, going like, "Wow, that's a weird comp." <laughs> yeah, so that is about uh, the brain putting. What is? How does he get the message in a bottle? Basically, it's a message in a bottle, then he throws it into the water. But it, did he extract a dream? What was it? It's like he basically just kind of put a memory that he has into this uh, fuse that he blows, and just tells one of the minions to throw this message uh, bottle into the sea. Yes, go on, go on. someone find my plea to get it over with all right none of that made any sense to me just now you telling me still doesn't explain it <laughs> this is what happens but i don't understand well, so there's a bit of i don't understand in this movie well this film is i don't want to use the term dream logic in this one even though there's definitely a surrealist dream-like world and it's concerning dreams but it's kind of like how the the brain describes it it's a fairy tale it's just it's right so there's no but but also not quite it's like Okay, so you're a comic book fan. Are you at all aware of, like, have you ever leafed through any old French comics? Mobius or I have read anything from humanoids. I have seen, I've have read a little bit of Mobius stuff, not a ton, mostly uh, not a ton, just little bits. Now I'm not, I'm not saying that this is like Mobius. I'm saying this is more like other stuff that uh, humanoids press has put out. Anki Bilal, you know about Anki Bilal, yeah, and I've actually since we did that episode about Immortal, I have read that comic. So graphically, you can kind of get a, a 
couple of hints here and there as to how this might have come about, but Caro, I think, is his own guy. I don't know if he's influenced by anything else. I know movies liked to, for a while, pull from Mobius. They even hired him a lot. But Caro's visual aesthetic, coupled with the camera work of Junet, it makes this kind of like a, a graphic novel, I think, more than... I guess you know how Tim Burton, and it's not visually like Tim Burton at all, but like how Tim Burton did this big false Gotham City yeah. for the Batman movies. It's false. It's fabulous. It's not real, and you know it. It's like you're walking down Main Street, Disneyland, it's, or, it's or a, Frontierland. It's extremely stylized, even though it is sort of based off of like very expressionistic, you know, type art style. You know, yes, you can see, you can feel that it's intangible, yet it has. There's a weird weight to it because, again, and you're also saying that this is because it's a comic book. You're kind of mm-hmm. throwing in this otherworldly aesthetic to it. Also, film noir. There's a lot because this is almost a sepia film. It's not. It's got a lot of bright or highly saturated colors, I should say. Not really bright. Actually, one it plays with shadows and light a lot. One little thing I read about this that fascinated me because I didn't realize this was essentially the actors were painted white and what? and then they uh, twisted the color so that they were given a little bit more of a natural flesh tone. That's why huh. the color is all weird in this film is oh. is because they they're playing with because I mean you we've seen films especially you know if, like if you watch a David Fincher film he loves to shoot everything under fluorescent lights and then color balance it so you get that weird sickly green look again we've talked uh, yeah. and we've talked about the the dirtiness of existence and things like that where people play with color yeah. yet i've never thought about this in terms of this film and then just kind of you know going that is definitely one way to play with color is to very obviously change the parameters of what color is yeah and this is also 1995 so tweaking color is a hard job. It's not just twiddling a knob in a computer. I'm diminishing it now. Like nowadays, it's still a hard job to color correct. You need to be an artist to do it. And the men and women who color correct, who do it well, are just fantastic. And I'm not dismissing what they do now. But they have tools now that they didn't have then that enable it to be so much easier. So even though it's a difficult task anyway. So that's a feat, isn't it? Yeah, It in retrospect, because I read that after watching the film again, it made thinking about this film just going, wow, there's a lot more work into this film than even what's, well, it is on the screen. But it's like all this artistry that's on film and you don't really think about that. It's like, oh, no, they just did weird, you know, weird stuff with with scrims and all that stuff and just kind of play with the lighting like that no they on a mm-hmm. basic level completely altered the way this film looks yeah that's crazy white paint so you mentioned ron perlman how does he enter into this because i one i got a note we, we all know that ron perlman's not necessarily a handsome guy he's been typecast for a long time until uh, after he had his run on beauty and the beast as brutes as monsters or uh, beauty and the Beast was a TV show and like ape men type stuff or like name of the rose he's like a half-brained mongoloid monk you know yes and he's I mean not he's cast that way because he has a very unique face that is almost simian yeah I love right? I love the man anytime I see him in a film it makes me happy because he's usually fun even if he's playing like one of the worst human beings on the planet he is something like Jonner yeah Jonner in Alien Resurrection he's 
horrible. He's a horrible man, but I love his performance as him. Yeah, and it always seems to go with the thing I've always read, where it's usually the people who play heavies in films are usually the nicest people on the planet, and he just seems to enjoy whatever he's doing. You know, it's like, yeah, he's definitely not a pretty man. No, but in this movie, dare I say he is. He's beautiful. He definitely... In this movie, this is the most handsome he's ever been in any movie. They definitely give him a lot of soft focus, yeah. (laughs) No, it's not soft focus. It's the style. You know what I mean. You. (laughs) Smack you. This guy is like, if I saw him, I would be like, that's a unique dude. But wow, is he handsome. That's how he is in this movie. Uh, Of course, the clothes is designed. All of the costume design is by Jean-Paul Gaultier. And it shows... He has a very distinct style, and in the time period that it's supposed to be, which isn't necessarily yeah, yeah, there's any a time. Yeah, it's got. What is, when is it? It has a non-existent time period, yet it feels like something out of like maybe the 20s or 30s. Yeah, okay. Let's just go with 1928. So it's close to 30s. He's apparently a sailor strongman, Ron Perlman, uh, working for a sideshow carnival, breaking chains, stuff like that. But he's also taking care of a kid they say it's his son in synopsis and stuff but i never really understood that to be his son more than like no his brother he says it's like he says some like when he's talking to minette he's like he found the kid and he just became his quote-unquote little brother yeah right okay thank you because i was pretty clear that that's the situation but then i was just reading and they say his son. No, it's not his son. But his kid bro, right? So he's like the big guy who's a friend to all the kids. Any kid, I guess. Anybody who needs his sort of protection. But yeah, he's, and the but kid he's, gets taken. Yeah, and he, well, that kid is annoying. Adorable. No, he's annoying. No, the kid is adorable. The kid is great. He's adorable. How is he annoying? Oh, the, his entire thing is mugging for the camera and eating it's anything, awesome. eating anything near him, and then burping. <laughs> That's that a is character. an entire shtick. <laughs> That's a character. I don't feel bad that he was kidnapped. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's not like these Italian movies that always cast kids. Hello, my name is Bob. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Italian horror from the 80s, where the kid's like, Parents never listen. They always do what they want. It's that annoying, that kind of a performance. No. Can you get me some candy? It's bad. I, I prefer the other kids, the kids in Minette's little uh, gang. and Sure, but they they all have lines. This kid doesn't have any lines. He burps. That's his, <laughs> yes, his thing. He's he's like, he's like uh, what, four or five years old, something like that. He, he's, they're, they're not going to trust him with actually saying anything. Uh, but I, I don't think it was ever intended for him to say anything. Either. Because, yeah. yeah, the joke is that he is a, bottomless a pit. voracious yeah. bottomless pit of eating. And so he's constantly being sidetracked that way. You keep saying Minette. It's Miet. Miet. M-I-E-T-T-E, which is a name of a kind of dress. It's not exactly the kind of dress that she was wearing. A Miet is, uh, doesn't have the overalls, but it does flare out like hers, and it has a more of a tie in the front. Could be like a bow or just a string tie. It's a very cute French dress called Miet, and so that's what she's named after. Yes, and it would have helped if I, had my, if I had turned my page over, then I wouldn't have missaid the name. It's all right. <laughs> you gave me an opportunity to inform people of a type of skirt. Okay, so the kid gets kidnapped by a cult. Yes, the Cyclops. Yeah, they're these blind people who have these uh, 
mechanical augmentations stuck to their face that can give them sight, and they're like weird Borg Terminator people. Yeah, but they're not robotic or anything. They're just a mindless cult. When they indoctrinate somebody, they're blinded in one eye, and the other eye has this um, contraption. This is the steampunk-looking thing that's slapped onto that eye. And apparently, you can just wear it over your good eye, because at one point, uh, one is his name, Ron Perlman. He puts it on just to look like one of them and he fools them and he can see through it as they can which is uh, actually rather interesting because then he immediately takes it off so it seems like it replaces their eye because there's that point where you have one of the bad guys taking the thing off and like if i remember right stabbing a guy in an eye here's what's happened with that okay so okay one stumbles upon in his adventure to save his kid bro denry like henry gets kidnapped one goes after him but can't and then he stumbles upon these kids who is like a the street urchin like the oliver twist type street urchins um they thieve big time they're more than street urchins they're burglars they burgle things and they're they work. they're much very much a thief gang yeah but they're all 9 10 11 you know uh and they work for this conjoined twin boss named octopus and this I, choreography I, is amazing i love the octopus especially that cooking scene of hers right so it's or two, of theirs i should say yeah it's two ladies conjoined by the leg it seems they have one leg in the center and two legs on the side they wear of, of course the same outfit it's all conjoined and they have four arms that are not autonomous but one lady operates two arms the other lady operates two arms but how it is is they're interlaced almost woven when they move it's amazing yeah it's one of those things where i wish this was a video podcast because if you have never seen this film a why are you listening to this watch the movie watch the movie stop it but b it is impressive just the dance that they do with their arms just yeah in this little cooking scene it's one lady picks up with an arm uh, a hand uh, some cheese to grate the other lady holds the cheese grater and they they're in sync doing it like they're not even thinking about it the only part that i thought was really dumb was when she tastes something with one mouth and the other lady does that Taste. Yeah, t- yeah, she can taste it. Ah, you can't even do that. That's not even possible. Shut up. I get the joke. Don't even. That was my little moment in that movie. Everything else, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> well, everything else is so realistic. So they, being conjoined twins, also worked in the same traveling circus sort of thing and they go to the guy who runs it. He has, well, he has an addiction problem. He's opiates, right? Yeah. So yeah. I think it's opium. So they try to sweet talk. He's actually into one of the conjoined twins. And so he goes ahead and does whatever they want because of love, which is always kind of an underlying theme, it seems, in most Jeunet movies. He has, except for two of them, the young and prodigious T.S. Spivet is a movie about a child genius. And Alien Resurrection is Alien Resurrection. There's hardly any romance, if at all. (laughs) Hardly any. Well, there is the romance of the mother and child. Well, not romance, no, but the love, well, actually, of, love and, of mother and child between Sergoni Weaver and the weird, creepy alien. At that's the not end. a romance. That's I, a I romance. said love. I, I changed it to that's love. That's undying love. <laughs> yes. No, the romance comes from the captain of the Betty 
and his uh, number two, which is uh, a hot lady in a thong. So, and I forget their names, and I'm sorry. That's the romance, and it's very brief. Or maybe you could say Ron Perlman wanting to get it on with Ripley, Ripley clone. Well, Ron Perlman and is- any woman that moves, <laughs> let's just say that. Right. And here, there's an underlying romance behind a lot of the film, so that's a lot of the conflict. And so he goes ahead and he does the major attraction, I guess, what he has is he has a flea that can obey his wishes, and he just has to play the little uh, organ grinding, you know? So he grinds that organ, and it plays this calliope-sounding music, and then the flea... Well, the flea's trained, but it has a mind-control serum. Yeah, it has a serum that I don't necessarily think it's mind-control so much as uh, just makes a person homicidal, and the music guides the homicide. But it's such a small, tiny drop of this liquid, because it's a flea. How potent is this stuff that one tiniest little drop in the mouth of a flea will turn somebody homicidal it's crazy well you I know he injects it time. he injects it right into the head and you know the head is where the brain is housed so it immediately goes to the brain and not any other part of the body uh-huh i see what you're trying to do I'm trying to make sense of it thank you uh it doesn't <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't work <laughs> So that's the first time I ever thought of it. I was like, oh my gosh, this is a flea. Because what we see is we see macro vision. The camera goes really up close to the flea. You see everything really up close, so it looks giant. And we never take into account that this is a tiny little glass needle. Well, we do get the size of the flea in a couple of scenes, so you do kind of get that. Sure. The the perspective. But once it's up close, you just forget about it, and you go, yes, I'm with this. And I'm always with this movie. I love it. It is a a fantastical, farcical, surreal in a way i could imagine having a dream that's got elements of this and being like what is happening so anyway the flea bites or injects one of the cult members and here's what happened with the eye thing this is all what we're talking about with the eye thing and he didn't just stab the guy he's got like a like a headphone jack but it's actually for it's just a connection so that his brain can sync up to the eyepiece he takes his jack and connects it to that guy's port well that's that guy's port well you're talking about the second guy's jack and puts puts it to his port and and he strangles him and then he kills him yeah Yeah, he strangles him that way but i'm talking about the guy before so that guy's watching his own death so it's i'm I'm trying to think it's like it's either the guy before that or it's one of the guys from the octopus's gang that that other dude Hmm. maybe i'm i've been watching a couple of other movies around this i you know i know i'm cheating on you but (laughs) sorry watching james bond movies i get it but i seem to remember that like that guy because he has knives and stuff i remember he takes off like that and he stabs a dude in basically his eye hole Hmm. maybe i'm remembering it wrong maybe you know yeah i don't remember it honestly i just watched it but i don't remember that because well part of me also goes why is this movie rated r like like like, (laughs) because because of one scene yes that literally it's during a rube goldberg scene (laughs) which is by the way this movie has a like two or three rube goldberg moments but it's not set up like you usually typically see a Rube Goldberg from profile and following the ball keep rolling and hitting things, right? Yeah. The smoke the smoke does it at one point ends up, there's like a club uh, an entertainment club uh, with dancing girls. It's a strip and club at least. I don't know, no, well, I'm not even thinking all that All the ladies run out I, and their boobs are flapping. Yes. That's the scene, but I don't even think that's, they're in their dressing room, dude. I don't necessarily think it's a strip club. I think they're just dancing girls. Well, it's French. You know, like the can-can and stuff. Yeah. Well, it's well f- not everything is crazy horse. <laughs> I don't know if you know about 
about Crazy Horse, which is like the most artistic burlesque and everybody's naked and awesome and all that, whatever. But it doesn't necessarily have to be that. But yeah, you, you might be right. Yeah. You might be right. But I was just thinking this time that it's like they're running out of the dressing room, out into the alleyway. And that's the only reason why this would be rated R per se. The rest of it is, I guess, thematic, children in danger. Well, but that's the thing. In watching this film, it started making me think of not too long ago, Legend was on and I was watching that with Heather and, you know, I'm thinking like Never Ending Story and all these films that I grew up with in the 80s, you know, that were kids movies Mm -hmm. and, you know, really dark, really didn't talk down to the audience, didn't necessarily life is all, you know, peaches and, you know, sunshine and everything like that. And I'm thinking... Kids in peril. This is very much in that vein and then I'm going, okay, what exactly about this is R-rated aside from tits? And that's not even... That's just like... I'm sorry, that's puritanical and maybe even sexist. Yeah. To, to rate a movie rated R because and peripheral like, people are topless. I mean, okay, we have, there's just a couple of things that I go like, okay, maybe it's, they have the uh, the clones in jars and they're not fetuses, but, you know, they're. No, they're, they're heads, but. Well, there's, and, no, there's heads, but they're brief, like. and it's at the end. Well, there's heads, you know, but there's also bodies. There, there are a couple of ones with bodies. Sure. Uh, the ones that really disturbed me visually are the heads, Dominic Pena cloned heads in jars as they explode at the end yeah that part maybe yeah that's grotesque but that's not anything yeah i'm lighter there... than pg-13 yeah it's like at most this film really is a pg-13 movie and yeah actually i would rate it pg-13 i wouldn't say at most in a kind of dismissive kind yeah. of way well, at, yeah, absolutely it's pg-13 yeah there's... R. there's no yeah. reason for it exactly yeah i got a little confused and a little i'll be honest a little hung up on that point in watching it just kind of going, why the hell? I have to find the moment. I have to find yeah. the moment. I'm sitting there watching this going, why the hell is this thing R? But also, I'm a product of my time. I know you don't necessarily like that phrase, but sure. I am a product of my time. I grew up with films that were really messed up, directed at kids. So I'm sure. Yeah. So I don't find I mean, honestly, marketing for Robocop, post Robocop success, marketing for Robocop, the rated R Robocop was, and Robocop 2, aimed at kids. This is the time in which we grew up. I mean, I was a little earlier than you, but this is what I remember like toys and Saturday morning cartoons. Absolutely into Robocop, and I hadn't even seen the movie. And it's a super brutal, violent film, even fascistic in a way, and I was all into that. And then they made a cartoon out of it to, uh, a year and a half after the first movie came out, before the second movie. That's for kids, right? And then the movie, second movie comes out as rated R. And it is really rated R. It even has a, a mouthy, horrible, terrible child in it who's cussing his head off. Yeah. It wasn't until the third one, which no one likes. Be- well, no one and likes the second defanged, one either, but yeah. They- well, they like the second one in hindsight a lot more. And they go, well, if I had to pick second one over the third. Yes. The third one, they defanged it all. Has no teeth. But point is, you're right. Kids in peril movies, things were messed up and they were aimed at kids because we could take it. Because uh, honestly, a lot of us were, not me in particular, but a lot of us came, like America is such a huge thing and I'm talking about America right now. It's a huge kind of uh, melting pot. So there's people in pockets of cities and suburbs. It gets a little easier in the suburbs than it is in the cities. You have a harder life, it seems to be, in the cities. And when you go to a movie, your movie 
reflects that but in a fantastical way which makes the real life able to be kind of dealt with or ingested more palatable like oh i can follow this epic quest of my own through the city or through my little uh, strife my little problems you know as a kid you escape movies were like that and they're not like that anymore yeah. they haven't been for a long time yeah that's that's the one thing i do miss are films that don't necessarily talk down to the audience everything just is a little more hand-holdy and well there are comedies that work comedies that you can do a lot more with now and have it be a kid's comedy like the diary of a wimpy kid i've only seen i think two or three of them and those are good those are strong comedies they know what they're doing well heck well uh, okay they... to be fair hugo is a great kid's film that is not in any way a kid's film yeah that one does it well but it the audience didn't really like it for some reason but whatever that's good actually if you think about it hugo seems to be informed a little bit by junet's work yeah definitely i'll i'll if go with think that about it well right it's, it's not dark like it is. well no it like i'd say it's Junet's. informed by junet's work but it's also just it's 100 percent pure love of cinema yeah you got that right. Yeah. But anyway, anyway. We're digressing so uh, much. <laughs> <laughs> Big digression. Yeah, that, that, that's good, though. This film, I, you know what? You should just all watch it, find it, you know, buy it. Buy it, honestly. It's good. I, I love it. I'm glad I hadn't watched it in over 10 years, I believe. You want to know something? The only thing I remembered about this film going into it seriously like if i was to pick out anything from the film like the one thing that strikes me is almost literally from the end of the film and that's Dominic pinion tied to the oil that's rig. the only thing you remember no 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 that's it no i remember this part vividly i couldn't tell you what the plot of the film was or anything like that again i'm going like 20 years since i've seen this thing yeah, but that's it. That's but the vividly, only part. no, him tied to the thing, and then the bird land on the little uh, yeah, the plunger on the plunger right next to him. I remembered that one hundred percent. I could not tell you anything else about that film, but that little bit was right there, stuck in my head. Now the plot here is somewhat convoluted, and because it's in French, if you watch it in French and you're not a French speaker, you might get lost a little bit. You might get confused about the motivations of certain characters, like the original. Like I really don't know why he's gonna go blow them up he thinks that they're gonna kill oh, him it's because the entire thing was a mistake he realized that i totally messed up and once once yeah, he gets I his memories once he gets his memories scene, back he gets his memory back yeah and he's and like he goes, it's me i made you i gave you life Abby! you hear me i order you to come back He's like, no, holy crap, the, I need to blow this stuff up. <laughs> They're, they are making a mockery of my work. Well, his work was a mockery in the first place. Now, exactly. the, cult, the cult works for the scientist who can't dream. Now, I looked up some stuff about dreams, and people can live fine without dreaming. So this aging quickly, it's kind of like a myth. I had thought that not being able to dream might have health issues. Like It's almost like insomnia but sleeping like because rem is when you hit dream state and if you don't ever hit that and have dreams then you're not sleeping right but I, what i understand dreams are is a purging of daily events or whatever or worries or whatever so that you don't have to actually deal them in waking time yeah and it's just your brain decompressing and just throwing out random stuff whether you remember them or not is another thing i 
don't particularly no. remember dreams. Oh, okay. I, I remember a lot of them, uh, and my really great memorable dreams are way nonsensical, and I love them. And they're even nightmarish, and I love them. But I don't remember dreams very often, although I do dream. But... Here, the guy, he ages too quickly, and they do an inception situation thing. They put Miet in a one of the sarcophagus that they use to infiltrate the kid's dreams. Because he's always trying to... He's like, why are they terrified of me? But he's being super terrifying. Yeah, he... Dressed as Santa the whole time. Well, well, part of it is, I think it's... Their dreams become nightmares, mostly because the kids are freaked out at being kidnapped. So he's like, he's setting up this dream of Santa Clauses. Yes, that is... That is the tie to the to the Christmas thing I was being yeah but yeah so but yeah, so but these... like the movie starts actually with the scene of Santa Claus coming down and there's a kid like watching him and then another Santa Claus and then another Santa Claus and another and another and another and in the midst of all of those is him and he's kind of looks like a vulture but it's also think about the comic book vulture but also as the Santas Spider-Man. show up they also start becoming a little more distorted and dark like one of them like in the beginning one of them's a total alcoholic just yeah. you know sucking down booze and and yes you have him in the Santa costume and he's freaking the kids out and so yeah their dreams become nightmares and the reason why little brother is taken is because nothing phases him yeah he's he doesn't <laughs> care about anything he just wants to eat you got food he'll eat it so that was that's the entire idea is to take his dream because he's fearless he's not going to cause a nightmare yeah so that's where the christmas stuff ties this is why i was kind of a little bit confused because there is the christmas theme going on whenever the dreams happen and then during waking time there's no month everything is at night it seems yeah, it's kind of dark city in that way where yeah. there is no such thing as, as daytime. It's just a perpetual night. And as the story progresses, it seems to unfold over a few days, you know? So there should be daylight sometime, but there is none. It's darkness. When you look towards the horizon, it's just dark sky. So I'm skipping stuff, and I don't want to talk about it because the movie's great and you should all watch it yeah it's it's one of those things where i don't want to say it's not a plot heavy film or anything but if you're gonna break down the story it's a pretty simple story again i i bring it back to it's a fable it's a fairy tale there's not a lot of stuff in this film even though there's a lot of stuff in this film now the cult i do keep coming back to the cult because um what is their point are they like i think it's the concept of the man with one eye in a kingdom of the blind the one-eyed man is king yeah i think it's that i came into this world with open eyes but i saw a world that was a world of literate dogs and perversion is also the world of desire my brothers our great superior race shall reign once more on earth from that day on our faithful third eye will become useless as the world of appearances will be abolished they augment their eye to be able to spot the truth but they actually use little microphone guns to aid them in navigation as well what? it's a gun well, that's where i was kind of has a microphone on it that's kind of where i was when i was looking at them a lot of those people look like again in the galley a lot of those people look if i remember right they had you know little things over their eyes to make them look like they're blind hence why i was thinking that that's what that tool is for is so that these blind people can be given sight again once you hmm. go back 
back to that thing in the Kingdom of the Blind, the One-Eyed Man is King. Each of these people yeah. who are chosen to be given these augmentations are now given sight. Now, which, whether or not, if you want to go, these people had sight before and are now desperate to regain sight is one thing. Hmm, no, that's interesting because the narrow faced man i'm gonna call him and the round-headed guy who choked out the other dude both of their eyes that are visible to us without the augmentation on are like a milky yellow really gross so you might be right that they were blind in the first place and this augmentation helps them see one of those guys by the way the newest recruit is mark caro yeah he's the guy holding the microphone gun pointing it at everything and freaking out because it's so loud or whatever that's that guy mark caro that's his cameo appearance which made me want to look to see if there was a uh Jeunet cameo but i guess not didn't look like it Mm, uh, I don't know. Or at I least not. I'll say that. At least not credited. Yeah, I don't know if he's ever done that. Yeah, John. Do you like it? I love this movie. I loved this yeah. movie when I saw it. I love this movie now. I'm glad I got a chance to see it again because I have a feeling that it probably would have been a film that just had I not had to sell all my movies some time ago, it probably wouldn't have been something I would have rebought if I didn't have an opportunity to actually watch it again. Yeah, like, if you, you wouldn't have thought about it very often, right? Yeah. It just, as I said, I haven't seen this in 20 years. I've owned the DVD for, like, 15 of those years. <laughs> yeah, but you just didn't go back to it. Yeah. That's my situation. I just was waiting for the right time, and the right time is now, and I'm very glad. I'm very glad, because I love this movie. I think it's wonderful. I win again. I got... A movie that you like? Woo! Well, yeah, but but you liked it already. This anyway. was in a way, this was the softball because <laughs> it's, it's totally a softball. You already liked the movie and you saw it separately from me back in 95. So, yeah, I mean, but but God, it's one of those things where, as I said, I did not remember this movie. So, going back into it, it's just like, oh God, this is so great. And then it kind of floods back, but it's like, I'm on this journey now. I have, I can't yeah. wait to see this through. It's, it's just wonderful. It's like, where does this scene come? in that i actually remember <laughs> it's right at the very end you're like dang it i've been anticipating it this whole time it almost snuck past you yeah because part of the memory was i guess part of it is i remember part of the scene where rod perlman gets kicked out of that place and he falls and he lands in the nest i think i kind of added because i seem to remember it was ron perlman and the girl and this yes. bird oh no more so because i remember the bird clearly as opposed to yeah more so than pinion but i remember pinion being tied to the thing and it's like oh Okay, that was all the exact same scene in the exact same moment. Now, I mentioned again that we are not talking much about stuff. Like Miet, we didn't really talk too much about Miet and the relationship she has with one. Now, the reason, it's too much to talk about. I'll, I'll no, be honest, okay. There's too much content in the Yeah, it feels for... like, it's. it definitely seems like it's a French thing because the same thing can be said about Leon the Professional. Uh, there's, there's a lot of weirder crap going with Leon. I think it's just affection. Same kind of affection that he has with... Well, no, uh, on his... her... On her part for him. Because she was uh, very interested in what kind of woman uh, he'd be interested in taking for a wife. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. That passed me by a little bit. Well, okay. Anyway, there's a little bit of like, what? So, scratch that itch, get the movie, I say. Yes, it is. It is a great film. Watch it. Watch all of Janae's films. They're great. Yes, they were wonderful. Thank you, John. And a happy holiday to all. Happy holidays. You're supposed to say it to all a good night. Because you're short. I'm not short. I'm just under tall. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Good night. I'm going to chop you in the face. Kung Fu foot.
What's that mean?